let's go ahead and get started. How about stand with me tonight? Everybody doing okay? Hey, did you smell that rain when you came in? I don't know if it's going to produce, but it sure smelled good. As they say across the pond, guten Abend, good evening, or south of the border is buenas noches. <laughs> I think that's it. Anyway, thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you're here tonight and you've tuned in and uh, we're going to get right into our study. How many have a need tonight as we open up in prayer? Just slip your hand. If you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, let's do pray for rain. Uh, continue praying for our students as they continue to go back to school. I think most everybody now in, in Johnson County is back in school and back in session. Uh, so let's just pray that, uh, you know, we, uh, our kids are safe and learn and do well and uh, pray, continue praying for revival. So... Let's just pray. Father, tonight we're so grateful, uh, Lord, for the, for the potential of rain. Uh, Lord, we, we need it in a, in, a, in a real bad way, and Lord, but you know. Lord, so we just ask that you would, count, let you would just send the rain and let it nourish the ground and our uh, Lord around us and, and again send that spiritual rain to saturate our souls. Uh, Lord, I pray as we open up tonight, we do so with a heart of thanksgiving. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And, Lord, I pray for every hand that went up in the building tonight, Lord, that just signifies a need in our life. Lord, I thank you that you're faithful and that you're trustworthy and that you are a good, good father. That's who you are, and we are loved by you. I pray, Father, no matter what the need is tonight, I pray for those that need a healing touch. I pray, Father, for those that need a financial miracle. I pray, God, for those that need some encouragement on this Wednesday night, Lord, for those that need guidance and direction. Lord, I thank you that no matter what our need is, Lord, you just simply tell us to call out to you and you will answer us. And so, Father, we do that tonight. Those online tonight, I pray that they would sense the presence of the Holy Spirit there where they are, where they're watching tonight. And I pray you'll be with all the ministries here on campus tonight, that you would be exalted and lifted high in all things. Father, I pray for, again, for continued rain. Lord, we need so much of it to, uh, to, to just replenish and nourish our ground. Father, we pray for revival in our land. Lord, let it start with us, uh, Lord, as we dedicate ourselves to you and let it just flow out uh, and touch our nation. And Father, we just ask you to be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it now to you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. you. may be seated tonight. Go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, we're going to get right into it. Like I said, I'm not really going to be starting a series for a few weeks, uh, just a couple things that the Lord has laid on my heart. While you're turning there, just in way of announcements, don't forget, Sunday we continue with our summer series. Boy, that sounds good. Isn't that music to our ears? <laughs> Send it on down, Lord. I remember the choir singing that song, Send It On Down. Yeah, well, that'd be a good one. Uh, but anyway, um, what was I talking about? Oh, the summer series. So we only have two more Sundays. We'll finish, uh, we'll, we'll do this week, I'll be preaching on purity. And then next week, we'll wrap it up. On the 28th, we'll wrap it up and move on from there. But it's been a good series. Uh, it's been tough. Thank you for your prayers. You know, those are not easy. Some people jovially will preach things like that. It's a very difficult thing because it affects so many people. I, uh, I talked to a, a, a person this week in, in regard to Sunday's message, and I said, you know, one of the things in, in the comment basically was how many Christians today are are accepting these types of alternative lifestyles. And I said, well, it's because most of the time it's people that have, it hits close to home. And it's a very difficult thing to maintain a biblical perspective when you have something in your own house that runs contrary to it. And I said, you know, that's, that's why it's so tough for us to be able to take that stand, but we must. Uh, and we might, uh, but it doesn't mean that we don't love, and that's where sometimes the rub comes in. Is that if you speak against something, then somebody wants to misconstrue that as though you're not loving of that individual, and that's simply just not true. Um, so again, thanks for your prayers. Uh, those messages are archived on our website, and so you can go back. and I would encourage you to go back and and kind of refresh your mind over over time because it's not going to get any easier. Uh, and, and I think we just need to be armed with God's Word when it comes to hot-button issues. Well, tonight we're going to be talking about something a, little bit, a lot different. So we're going to be talking about certain faith in uncertain times. How many know we live in some uncertain times right now? Uh, my next sermon series will begin, uh, won't be doing it in October, uh, excuse me, in September. We have our missions convention coming up on September the 25th. 
um, which is a, one of my favorite days of the year as well. I have a lot of favorite days. I have 52 of them. <laughs> but but uh, so we do have our missions convention on the 25th, uh, that Sunday morning, and looking forward to that. But my next series uh, that I'll start first Sunday of October is entitled The 11th Hour. And we're going to be looking at some of the end time stuff that's going on. Uh, and just as a refresher, the Bible says it, it, is our, it is our hope. And sometimes after we, especially after you come out of a series like this, it's nice to have hope. And so we'll be doing that. Anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. Certain faith in uncertain times. Hebrews chapter 11, begin verse number 8. Uh, we'll go down through 10. Now I've used uh, Hebrews 11 many, many times down through the years. I love this chapter and I love this particular story. So we'll begin. It says, by faith, and, and that's important, by faith, not any other way. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out. But notice how he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreigner or as, a, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this evening. Again, I, I've used this story many times. I love the story of Abraham. And, and, and again, so we start talking about uncertain faith, or excuse me, certain faith in uncertain times. And, and uh, you know, I, I think back just a couple of years ago when the pandemic shut things down uh, all around our country and actually literally around the world, um, many clinicians in the mental health field began to sound the alarm about the havoc that was coming to people. And I think now that we're past it, we see that there was a lot of things that happened to people because of the shutdown. I remember how that when we initially went to, went to online services only, we didn't have service here. I think, I don't remember, it was a couple of months, maybe two or three months, I don't even remember now. And it was a very difficult thing to come in on Sundays and to stand here in an empty building and and preach with nobody here. And in fact, some of the staff, you've heard me share this, they, uh, some of the staff took pictures of people, had people send in pictures, and they blew them up, and they positioned them. It's kind of cool because they set them where they normally would sit. And so right here in this section here, I could look out, and I could see the silhouettes and the pictures of people, and, and that helped some. I mean, that was an interesting thing that they did. Uh, but I remember the first time that we had services back together again. I sat right over here where I normally sit. And I cried. There was just something about coming back. I didn't realize how much of an emotional toil that it had taken on me to not be in the presence of, of my family, my BT family. And, and, and so the clinici clinicians were correct that the, when the pandemic happened and the shutdown, it really affected people, and it continues to do so. I, I mean, you think about things that were trusted, uh, we could no longer trust. And if you watched any of the coverage the gloom and doom statements just were flying 24 hours a day, almost to the point where it was too much to even bear. Uh, in fact, that's when, you know, I used to be a pretty big connoisseur of news. I, I've always, when I was in the military, some of the, time, uh, some of the promotions, uh, when you would go before the board or the, the, you know, the board to be interviewed for promotions and things like that, the promotion board, you had to be current on current events. You needed to know your stuff. And so I took a habit of watching and paying attention to what's going on in the world so that I would be uh, prepared to answer when I was called upon for promotion. And, and so that just started a habit in me. And I always was a connoisseur of news until then. And now I typically only tune in to watch the weather and maybe to see the birthdays in the morning, you know, how old people are getting. <laughs> but beyond that, I, I don't watch much about it. Uh, because, again, the gloom and doom that's being... Uh, propagated from the pulpits of secular media, it's overwhelming. And, and you know, and, and, and it was something, I mean, when the pandemic happened, it was something that most people had never experienced. They were not equipped to deal with it. Our emotions, again, God created us to be in community. That's why church, and, church attendance is really important. I know that there are people, uh, there's still people around the country and people right here that have never come back to church since the pandemic. They watch it online uh, and they're quite content. But God created us to be in community. 
And, and there's something about, again, God created us with two things in mind, to love and to be loved. And we need to be together. And so, um, I, you know, there, there just a lot of people weren't equipped with it. One of the things I've always been interested in, I love hearing stories of heroism. Of heroism. I love to read stories about men and women who achieved incredible things that most people couldn't do. I mean, I love reading about people who stepped out in the face of uncertainty without any guarantees whatsoever. Again, I think back to 9-11. I mean, who, think back to those brave people uh, who stood up and said, you know what, we got to do something, even though it meant their death. You know, the famous saying, let's roll. One of the last conversations Todd had with his wife, but he was not going to sit idly by on a plane while hijackers again, drove that into the Pentagon. So they took action. And we read those stories and we marvel. We marvel about firefighters and, uh, and, and first responders that run in when everybody else is running away. Military men and women that serve. You know, and, and, and when you start talking about those stories, you start thinking, I wonder if I could have done the same thing or if I would have done the same thing. Again, it's, it's hard to speculate because we're not in that situation. You would like to think that we would do what is right and what is noble, but again, until we're put in that situation, we really don't know. Uh, you know, I quoted it recently, but we've heard the saying that a crisis never made any man. It only reveals what he already is. You know, when crisis comes, that it, it, really, it really shows us our metal, you know, what we're made of. And, and that thought is both comforting <laughs> and it's frightening at the same time because we wonder, would we, we react the same way if what we held dear was really on the line. You know, we wonder, would we have faith to make it or would we collapse? All the things we say we believe, would we still, would that still be enough when the crunch comes? You know, again, I love missionary stories and I love reading and hearing missionaries that talk about incredible faith of people that step out and and I can't help but wonder. I mean, I've, when we did the IMN series that we did on a Wednesday night, we showed video from the Middle East of how Christians were being persecuted simply because they converted from Islam to to Christianity. Then you read about North Car- uh, North Carolina, <laughs> uh, North Korea is what I meant to say. There's probably some going on in North Carolina too, but uh, you read about North Korea and China, and yet Cuba, Cuba, you just a little far farther southeast of us. Uh, these places where people are imprisoned, churches are monitored on a routine basis. You go to a church in Cuba, I promise you there's a government agent sitting in there somewhere. They just are not going to allow the free flow of religion in that island nation. Uh, And and these people who have been in prison many times simply because of the gospel. You know, as Christians, we say we live by faith, but what does it mean to live by faith in a world where disasters and wars and violence plague our world. What does it mean to live by faith in these uncertain times? Where, I mean, again, we have to answer the question, where is God in these unthinkable tragedies? What, 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 does, what does faith in God look like at the end of a terrible week? Again, I think there are many examples of people in Hebrews 11 because everybody knows that Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame for people of faith. And, I, and, and, and through there, there's a litany of, of people, there's a list of people who achieved incredible success as examples of what it means to live uh, with faith in uncertain times. But there are other people in the Bible that we could use for an example of how to have faith in, a, in uncertain times. But I want to I focus on this story here in Hebrews 11. Again, uh, while there are a lot of names in Hebrews 11 and there are many that are unnamed, I want to focus on one man, a man named Abraham. How many of you remember as a kid singing that song, Father Abraham had many sons, you know, right arm, left arm. You know, you got really, really tired by the end of the song. (laughs) Well, I want to focus on Abraham tonight. Not his entire story, but I want to talk about the beginning of his journey. Because Abraham, Abram would not be Abraham had he not done what he did in this story. It was a significant moment. I've said this for years that every one of us has a defining moment. If you've not experienced yours yet, there will be a moment. There will be a time where you will define either I'm going to go with God or I'm not. And, and, and I believe that, that particularly where we live right now in this time, Paul calls these dark days or perilous days, uh, these are defining moments for the body of Christ. These are defining moments for a believer. I, I've heard all my life that, that uh, the church in, we, in the West 
would not be exempt from persecution. And, and for many years, most of us found it kind of hard to believe. How in the world are we going to experience persecution in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, where we have a constitution that gives us the right uh, for the assembly together for religious purposes? Well, now let's fast forward to where we are today, 2022. How many of you can see how easy it is to be persecuted in a country that supposedly is free for all? Uh, so, again... What he did in this story is it gives us lessons of what we should do with our faith in uncertain times. Again, now when we meet him 4,000 years ago, he's living in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. Now that is, um, that is a place that is on the banks of the Euphrates River, not far from the mouth of the Persian Gulf. So it's in that, in that region there. No doubt when you know his story, he and his wife Sarah... Worship the moon god, Sin, okay? Uh, he's a prosperous man, middle-aged man, and by all human accounts, he's a success, successful man, well-respected. Life has been good to Abram and Sarah, Sarah. Certainly, they had no reason to complain. It's at this precise moment that God speaks to him clearly and unmistakably. And that's a point to make is that God spoke to him uh, in, in a time where he's in the, in the top echelon of society, God spoke to him. And what God said to him changed his life, and ultimately it changed the course of the world. So I want to spend the rest of the moment uh, time tonight looking at his story. What are some of the lessons that you and I learn uh, about living with certain faith in uncertain times? Well, the first lesson is this. Uh, except if we're going to live with that type of faith, we've got to accept God's will without knowing where it's going to lead. That, that's very important because in, the, in, our, in our text, the writer of Hebrews says that he obeyed even though he did not know where he was going. You know, by faith, Abraham, verse number 8, when he, called, when, when he was called to go to a place, he would later receive. This version says, let me read it in this version. By faith, when called to go, by faith, Abraham, I tell you, I can't, I don't know what the deal is tonight. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. How many of you ever set out on a trip not knowing where you were going? Anybody ever done that? Oh, have you? I'm not one of those guys. I'm a, I'm a planner. I, I, I like to have, uh, so when my daughter and I went to uh, Germany uh, back in 2019, I sat down. It took me about two months, but of course I'd lived there, so I knew some of the areas that I that I wanted to take her. She was born there, and so I wanted her to see some of the places that she would have been as a young baby. And but I sat there and I I, I booked every hotel, I rented the cars, I plotted the courses that we were going to take, the journeys that we would make. Um, and in ten days, we had traveled over fifteen hundred miles, went to three different countries, walked about forty six miles. Uh, in sightseeing, and we did it all. When I got back, a lot of my friends that lived there said, "Did you get a tour guy, a, a, a tour company, to put that together for you?" And I'm like, "No, no, I did it on my own. You know, I had a plan. I, I'm not one of these guys just to set out and drive wherever the notion might take me." I we had a couple here years, uh, many years ago that uh, that were going on vacation. And I've shared this with you before, but I asked them. I said, "Where are you going?" They said, "We don't know." I said, "Okay, so what's the plan?" Well, we're just going to get in the car and drive. I said, all right, well, I mean, so you don't know where you're going. You're just going to get in the car and drive. How do you know you're going to get to the place where you want to be? I, I, you know, for me, that's a foreign concept, just to take off and not knowing. But the Bible says, by faith, Abraham set out on a journey not knowing where he was going. Now, there's only one, now here's the thing. There's only one way to describe Ur of the Chaldees. It was a world-class city. Um, it, it, archaeologists tell us that, at the time of Abraham, it was a city that probably could have had around 250,000 people living in it. That's a big city. That's a big city. It was the center of math and astronomy and commerce and philosophy. It was a well-to-do city. People from outlying areas moved to Ur because they wanted to be part of this great, this great city. No doubt many of Abraham's friends when Abraham said, hey, uh, my wife and I, we're going to pack up our stuff and we're, we're going to set out on a journey. Where are you going? I don't know. No doubt many of his contemporaries and his friends probably thought he was crazy, right? Probably thought he was nuts. I mean, why would anyone 
want to leave Ur? Why would anyone want to set out on a journey and have no clue where you're going and how long you're going to be in the journey and where you're going to stop? I mean, listen, obeying God's call meant giving up his friends, giving up his career, his traditions, his home, his position, his influence, and his country. And more than that, it meant risking his health and his future on a vague promise from an unseen God that simply said, go to a land that I will show you. That's faith. That's faith. When I, when I first was credentialed back in the 80s, when I, when I uh, went before the, the uh, committee to, to interview for my uh, license to, with the Assemblies of God, we were talking about ministry and my objectives and my goals and one of the elder gentlemen simply said to me, he said, now, because you're new, you're young, you can't just, so being from Alabama, uh, he said, you can't just say, God, I'm going to go to Alabama. You know, he said, you, you've got to be open to wherever God may send you. You've got you've to have that attitude that, God, I'll just wherever you want me to go, that's what I'll do. And, and it did mean packing up and moving to a place. In fact, of, of our families, we're... We're the only ones not in our homes, our home states. All my siblings still live in Mobile, uh, Alabama. Sheila's in Louisiana there. We're the only ones away because when we surrendered to the call, we said, God, wherever you want us to go. And I remember the first time we walked into this building on, in July of 1993, we walked in with the first thought of we're not coming here because we just bought a home in Duncanville. And I thought it was too far to drive. But when we walked in here, it was like, how many of you have ever had a glove that just didn't fit, but then you put one on that fit? When we walked in here on that second Sunday of 1993, it fit. And I thought, you know what? I don't know how it's going to work out. I was working in Irving. Sheila was working in downtown Dallas. I was going to school, and I thought, I don't know how it's going to work, but God, this is where we're supposed to be. And we made that journey, and we continued to make that journey. We drove. Uh, in fact, I drove. I worked. We'd come down here on Wednesday night. We'd come down here. on the, There used to be the apartment up there, out backside of the balcony. We'd come and stay there on Saturday night, all day Sunday, drive back to Duncanville Sunday night, start the week off, you know, Monday. And, and it just worked. I look back now and I think, man, how in the world did that happen? You know, we, I did that for about two and a half years. And then we moved here and I drove to Irving every day, <laughs> uh, working. And, uh, you know, again, when he left, he left going to a place he did not know, but he was open to whatever the call of God was. That's what certain faith is. Faith is not in faith is is only as good as the object of your faith. And he had faith in God. He had faith in the word of the Lord. It says, I will take I will go to the land that I will show you. And he trusted that God had a place already marked out for him. Again, I had been disappointed many times in our searching for a place of ministry. When I got out of the service for, the, for that first several months, that's all we did was travel the southeastern United States looking for that spot because I trusted that God had a place, and it ended up being here in Cleburne, Texas. Listen, when Abraham left Ur, he burned his bridges behind him. For him, there could be no turning back. Once he left the walls of Ur, he was on his own following God, God's call into the unknown. And see, the point is this. When God calls... There are no guarantees about tomorrow. You think about Abraham. He packs up his family. Abraham truly did not know where he was going. He did not know how long it, it would take to get there. And, he, and, and he, didn't know, uh, he didn't know anything beyond that other than today. Pack up and leave. He didn't know for sure how long he was going to be there when he got there. I mean, what if God's just taken me there to plant me for a season and move me somewhere? He had no idea. All he knew was that God had called him, period, and he was open. Everything else was up in the air. I know for a, for a lot of people, that's a very frightening thing to say yes to God. It's a very frightening thing to say, whatever you want, Lord, here am I, send me. See, living by faith means there are no guarantees and there is no certainty about tomorrow. If we truly want to do God's will, sometimes we find ourselves in the exact same spot that Abraham was, setting out on a new journey that doesn't make sense from this world's point of view. I mean, again, he's leaving one of the most prestigious cities of that time, and he's going to a place that he don't even know where he's going. But Hebrews eight eleven says, 
He obeyed and went. There it is. He obeyed and went. And there's no greater miracle in his life than that he obeyed and went. Had he not obeyed and went, none of us would know who Abraham was. He would have probably faded off into history and somebody else would have arisen in his place. But the key of his life was he obeyed and he went. And that became a mark of his life. He obeyed God. He went as God called. And for us, it's the same thing. There, there, there is no greater miracle in our lives than simply to be obedient to God. Trust and obey, for there is no other way. Everything, that's, everything else that happened in his life, it flowed from this basic decision. God called, Abraham obeyed. That truth was the secret of his life. He stepped out in faith even though there were no guarantees about his own personal future. He just simply, in his heart, said, I trust him. And he stepped out. You know, I preached some years ago about how Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Do you know how tough that assignment would be? I mean, it's hard to find people that will walk consistently with the Lord for more than three days. But this guy walked with him for 300 years. He had to keep walking wherever God would. You know, it's like the following in the, the footprints, walking where God went, putting your feet where God put his feet. That's what we're called to do. And it hinges on our willingness to obey. See, when we find ourselves in uncertain times and situations, we, the human thing to do is ask why. And we struggle to find God's answers amid tragedies, and we somehow think that, you know what, maybe if my, if my faith was stronger or, uh, you know, things would be different. But, listen, God's will is going to include mountaintop experiences and the deep, dark valleys of life. How many has figured that out by now? See, sometimes following in the will of God is going to lead to great mountaintop experiences where this, you know, the, the, the three disciples like, hey, it is good for us to be here on the Mount of Transfiguration. It is good for us to be here. But the will of God also leads to denial. Not the river, but denying, <laughs> you know. The deep, dark valleys, the hardships of life. When I was serving in the military, we had... We had bags. So I, I, I was issued, again, for me, we were deployable at any moment. So I, had, I was issued two sets of everything. One set was what I would use in the, in the, in the normal in-garrison daily operations of our detachment. But then one set went into deployment bags. Uh, some people call those go bags. Ever, ever heard that phrase before? Go bags. And, and, and those bags were to constantly be packed so that if the call came down, for instance, when, when uh, the situation happened in Panama, we were notified just like that, that and, and had a C-130 land, and we had to board and get ready to be deployed to Panama in the 80s. We had to be ready to go at a moment. And so we had that bag packed and ready to go, and our boss would always say something like this, you have to go. You don't have to come back. Let that sink in. You have to go. You don't have to come back. How's that for a pep talk <laughs> uh, if you're about to be deployed in the military? you you got to go, but you can't, you know, you're not guaranteed. But here's the, here's the point. The same thing is true for soldiers in the Lord's Army. When he calls, we must go. Abraham heard, he obeyed, and he went. He had to go. When Christ calls, we have to go. We don't, we don't have to come back. And that's difficult. I think about missionaries. I think about missionaries that leave their families and their everything that they know here in, 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 in our country, and they go to foreign places. Some of them, in fact, we've had missionaries here that were in very sensitive countries that had endured incredible things. But they heard the call of God, and they went. Living by faith means stepping out for God and leaving the results to Him. It's no guarantee of a long life, a good life, or even a successful life. We might have it, but we might not. The life of faith means I'm going to be the man or woman God wants me to be no matter where it leads. I don't know the future, but I'm going to trust him to work it out and to take care of all the details. That's what Abraham did. When the call came, he stepped out and he obeyed. Secondly, if we're going to have this certain faith in uncertain times, then we need to 
wait on God to keep his promises. We need to have patience. How many know that that's a very difficult thing in life, to have patience? And, and doesn't it seem like it's more difficult to be patient nowadays? You know, I mean, it, it just really is. But verse 9 says, by faith he made his home. And, and, and I love the description here. He said, by faith he made his home in the promised land. Notice his description. How did, how did he live? Like a stranger in a foreign country. Well, isn't that a hoot? He takes him out of Ur of the Chaldees where he's somebody, and he sends him to a, a place where now he's living in a tent like a foreigner in a strange land. He, that's what he said. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Now, think about this. How many, anybody like to live in tents? I, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know anybody who likes to live in tents. I, uh, uh, years ago, we... Uh, when, when I first got out of the military and we started pastoring and doing missions trips, uh, I was always, they always tried to talk me into leading uh, Pathfinder trips, particularly up to the Amazon and, uh, because of my training in the military. And I said, well, here's the deal. I had enough camping when I was in the military. My idea of roughing it is a holiday inn with an air conditioner that works. <laughs> that's, my, that's my idea of roughing it. You know, I could do it. Listen, I could survive. I'm not, I'm joking, I, but I don't, and that's not my idea of fun. You know, some people really enjoy that. We all have, but I don't want to pitch a tent and live there. You know, it might be fun to go for a week or a weekend or a night, but we want something more than a tent, right? I mean, there's something inside of us that wants to settle down. We want to settle down. The older, and listen, the older I get, the thought of moving makes me sick. I mean, it really does. I, I relish coming home at night. I relish going to my house. You know, how many, how many know what I'm talking about? It, it, it has your smells. It has stuff where, listen, in the middle of the night, I can get up in my house and I can walk anywhere in my house because I know where things are. My toes have told me where things are for the, <laughs> for the last little while. I know where things are. I've kicked them before. So I know how to watch out for them. I like my, 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 my stuff, my smells. You know, I relish, again, coming home. I'm comforted seeing the same faces. Okay? I, that just brings me great comfort. Moving has a way of making us feel unsettled, un, uprooted, maybe adrift in the world with no, with no stability. So, so multiply that feeling by 100 and then spread it out over 50 years. And you approximate Abraham's situation that got him into the promised land. Unsettled. You know, our text says that he lived in tents. Again, I, I know people that like, to that like to camp on vacation, but I don't know anyone who voluntarily lives in a tent as a permanent residence. I know there's some homeless that they do things like that, I'm, but I don't know anybody that purposely says, I'm just going to go and get a tent and that's where I'm going to live. Tents, tents speak of impermanence. Tents speak of temporary. Speak of the possibility of moving at any moment. In fact, uh, the fact that you live on land that is something that you don't personally own. Military, we call it bivouacking. When you, when you were setting up your tent, you knew that you were set, setting your tent up for a short duration. It might be overnight. It might be for a few hours. And then you would have to pack up and move to the next spot, wherever that might be. But that's Abraham. That's what Abraham did. He was always on the move, pitching his tent, building his altar. Pitching, I preach that, preach that too. Pitching his tent, building his altar. He didn't own anything in the promised land. Isn't that amazing? He didn't own anything in the promised land other than the promise that God had given to him. God had promised to give him the land, yet the Bible says that he lived like a stranger in a foreign country. If you don't own the land, guess what? You can't build a permanent dwelling there. Or at least you better not. So in many ways, this is even more remarkable than leaving Ur in the first place. As long as he was traveling across the desert, he could dream about a future. Don't you imagine that as he's journeying, there, there must have been some anticipation in his spirit that, hey, God called me to leave. I'm obeying. I can't wait to see what God has for me over there. I'm sure every step he took 
He had a dream of what his future was going to be like. Maybe had a dream of how his family was going to shape out and how, how the promised land was going to be. I'm sure he had those dreams. And as long as he was traveling across the desert, he kept those dreams alive. When he finally got to Canaan, all the illusions disappeared because he had no permanent dwelling place. God had promised him the land, but he had to scratch out an existence in tents. Hundreds of years, and think about this, hundreds of years would pass before the promise was completely fulfilled. Hundreds of years. Abraham never saw it. Neither did Isaac or Jacob. So the question is, was Abraham in the will of God? Yes. Was he right to leave Ur of the Chaldees? Yes, he was. Was he doing what God wanted him to do? Absolutely. Well, then why is he living in tents? Because God's timetable is not the same as ours. And that's a hard lesson for most people to see. We, we, we get these ideas of if I just step out in faith, then boom, everything's going to fall into place and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna tap into favor and abundance. And How many times have you heard somebody talk about, well, if you'll step out in faith, God's going to shower you with blessings and favor you. God's timetable, it's not our timetable. Here's the thing. God's not in a big hurry like we are. Again, I'm not here to discourage you. <laughs> I'm just simply saying, be careful. Make sure you temper your expectations and trust God. See, God works across the generations to accomplish his purposes. Did you get that? He works across the generations. He called Abraham to leave the beginning of that promise. He called Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees to go to the promised land, and he gave the same promise to Isaac and to Jacob, but it wasn't fulfilled in their lifetime, but it was fulfilled in their generations after them. God works across the generations to accomplish his purposes. While we're worried about what dress shirt or, 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 or what suit to buy for the next party, there's a big difference in those perspectives. We're worried about what I'm going to wear to church on Sunday when God's spanning the generations to accomplish his purpose and his plan. That's why I said throughout the pandemic, God's plan was never thwarted at all. Not one iota. His plan started in the beginning when God created, actually before the foundation of the world. His plan started then. It is on timeline that only he knows. And in the end, he makes all things new. We're somewhere in that process. Not a hiccup has happened yet. When the enemy came and, and, and the Bible says that God looked and man's sin was, was so much that he, it, it grieved him that he had made man. He was going to wipe them out, the Bible says. And again, I mean, you think about it, but his plan was never stopped. Why? Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you follow that timeline all day. See, God works across the generations. We just got out of Ruth and how Ruth, the story of Naomi and Ruth, how Ruth being a Moabite woman coming into a foreign land, being accepted and not just that, but being redeemed by the kinsman redeemer uh, Boaz, having the grandson, the, the grandfather of, of, uh, of, of David and David being in the lineage. Of, I mean, again, it's across the generations. That's how God works. Too many people follow Jesus for the wrong reason. What did you sign up for? A picnic in the park? A tea party? You know what Jesus calls us to do, the modern believer? Take up your cross and follow me. Matthew says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does that mean? It simply means we might have to live in tents for a little while. Who can say what tomorrow is going to bring? Our challenge is to be like Abraham and cling to the promises of God no matter what happens in the periphery around us. Again, because God's still working. His plan will ultimately become a reality, but we've got to walk day by day with him. We may have to say at some point, we would rather die with the Lord than to live without him. That's that place of complete confidence in him. In God's time, every promise will be fulfilled. In God's time, every promise will be fulfilled. Meanwhile, we watch, we wait, and we walk with the Lord. Here's the third thing. Never take your eyes off of heaven. Never take your eyes off of heaven. Have you ever wondered how we navigate through this dark, crazy world that we live in? 
we keep our eyes fixed on something that's greater. See, see, there are a lot of people today, and, and there's a there's a particular brand of theology that says that 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 the redeeming hope of our world is that the church is going to improve and get better and more influential and that we're going to usher in a period of utopia, and then Jesus is going to come back. I'm not one of those guys, by the way. I believe the world is going to continue in its cesspool of existence, and that each man is going to continue to do that which is right in his own sight, but there will always be a remnant who have not defiled themselves and stained themselves with the sin of the world who keep looking for that point fixed that gives them hope to endure the persecution and the ridicule and the mockery that's, that's what, again, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means say no to yourself. What does it mean to take up your cross? What does a cross symbolize? It symbolizes death. It symbolizes rejection and mockery and ridicule. Listen, when you decide to follow Jesus, not everybody wants to be in your ticker tape parade. Not everybody's going to celebrate when you stand up for righteousness. When you again in this culture today, if you dare to tell anyone that living in sin, living in sin will send them to hell, who are you to judge and get lambasted by keyboard warriors? Never take your. How do we do that? How do we stand when everything around us tells us to sit down and hush? You never take your eyes off of heaven. Notice verse ten. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's it. How did, he live a, how did he live a life of faith through all of the uncertainty? Listen, in Ur, he had certainty. In Ur, he had wealth and he had prestige. He had honor. He had friends. But God called and said, I need you to go here to the place that I will show you. He willingly gave all that up to follow why? Because he kept his eyes on something greater. He was looking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. I love that. Abraham looked for a, notice what he looked for. He looked for a city with foundations. With foundations. What, that, what does that speak of? He, he's not looking for a, sp- a lonely spot in the desert to pitch a tent. That wasn't his ultimate goal. He wanted to live in a place filled with other people. He also looked for a city with foundation. With foundations, what does that bring? It brings security and permanence. It wasn't like a temporary tent where you pitched your tent and, and the wind could blow it away or, or, or the nomads could come by and you could be robbed or what have you or, or, or the tent wear out. Foundations speak of permanence. He was looking for a place where there would be other buildings, had foundations. It would not crumble in the middle of the morning, it meant looking for a city designed and built by God. Why? Because all other earthly cities will eventually crumble into dust. He was looking for something more stable than anything the world had to offer. See, what I'm saying to us in the 21st century church is that we've got to keep our eyes fixed on the, the blessed hope of the church, and that is the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is what gets us through the difficult journey that we're on right now. Again, none of this stuff. Listen, if you would have told me 10 years ago we would be dealing with some of this stuff today, I don't know that I would have believed you. Some of you that are, are older than me, can you imagine back when you were a teenager some of the junk that we see going on today? Could you ever imagine that such a thing would exist in our world? What I'm saying is that the only way that we can survive and thrive is to keep our eyes fixed. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. When I was in Israel a few years back, we visited the ruins of the ancient city of Jericho. The ancient city of Jericho, Jericho is actually a Palestinian territory, so when we went in, we had to drop our Jewish uh, tour guide at the gate. They wouldn't let them in. And then we went in, or else they had to get special permission in advance to come in Hallelujah. <laughs> Anybody want to go dance in the rain a little bit? We'll open that door and you go right out. So, so I shouldn't open my mouth. They just quit. No. 
so, so we visited this ancient city of Jericho, and, you know, when most people think of Jericho, they think of what? I mean, what do you think of? You think of the walls coming down, right, uh, in the days of Joshua. But that's only, that's only one Jericho. And, and here's what I mean by that. Archaeologists have discovered that there are layers, there are layers to Jericho, one after another. The city uh, is, has been built on top of the ruins of the previous city. And that's the same way it is in, in, in Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem and you walk and they talk about the Via Della Rosa and they talk about walking where Jesus walked, you don't walk where Jesus walked because the city's been destroyed. Uh, and In fact, uh, they say, let me see if I, I wrote it down somewhere, they say that the city has been destroyed, Jerusalem, at least 47 times in the last 3,500 3, years. So every time they build on top of the rubble, there is one place where you go down about 45, 50 feet under the city and there is a road that, that archaeologists believe was a road that would have been there in the time of Jesus. That's kind of surreal to think about. But, again, when you visit old Jerusalem, you're not exactly walking where Jesus walked. You're walking 30 to 75 feet above where Jesus walked. And, and, and so that's the way it is with every earthly city. Nothing built by man endures. That's, that's my point. Nothing built by man endures. No wonder Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God because it speaks of permanence. It's not going to be destroyed anymore. In fact, Revelation 21 describes the city as the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This is the vision that John saw, uh, a city of breathtaking beauty shining with the glory of God. Verse 21, or excuse me, chapter 21, verse 11 says, and its brilliance was like that of precious jewels, like jasper and clear as crystal. Again, that's what caught his eye. And that's what enabled him to leave all of the glamour of Ur and all of the prestige and all of the fame and, and, and all of that stuff that he had there, the, the permanency of, of, of dwelling in a big city and living as a pilgrim passing through. That's why the Bible says he lived as a stranger in a foreign land. Why? Because he kept looking for that city. In their song, old gospel song says, looking for a city where we'll never die. If I could sing, I'd sing it to you, but I'm not going to even try. See, Christians, as believers, we should always keep our eye on that city. Because this old world as much as I hate to say, this old world's not going to get any better. Oh, I, I believe we'll have glimmers of hope. There'll be places of revival, and there'll be people that will come to the Lord, but there'll be other people that will de- deny Christ. There'll be people that, uh, that, 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 you know, like Damas, he turned away, having loved this present world. There'll be people like that all, all over the place. Again, Jesus had brought us the way, and many are on that way. Narrow is the one that leads to life. That's just the reality. But the only way that I can navigate these crazy times, again, turn on the news tonight when you get home. I would not recommend that. But if you do, don't be surprised at what you hear. If you pick up the paper, you pick up a news magazine, a national news magazine, a periodical of some sort, don't be surprised at the stories that you read. Because our culture today is pushing in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. Heaven is a city. It is a real place filled with real people. It's the city that Abraham was looking for when he left Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham was going to heaven, and he knew it. And that one fact alone explains his entire life. It explains how he was able to leave his his friends, his loved ones that were there, take his family, his possessions, and set out on a journey across the desert, not knowing where he was going, because he knew he was going to heaven. He had a heart. His heart was set on heaven. I wonder sometimes, is our heart set on heaven? I think one of the things that has plagued the church in the last 50 years is that we've got way too many people digging into the world when the Bible says we should hold loosely to the things of this world. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan doesn't mean that, listen, doesn't mean go cash your 401k in and take a long vacation. Doesn't mean any of that. I, I think you ought to plan like you're going to be here forever. But don't get too attached. Don't get too attached. Because I believe, you know, everybody says, look for the signs. No, I, I've looked for the signs. I've watched the signs since, since 1989 when that wall came down. I was there. 
And the first thing I thought of when that wall came down and all of a sudden the geopolitical center of the world shifted from Europe all the way back down to the Middle East, I thought, you know what? This is it. This is it. We've got to quit looking at signs and start listening for the sound. Because I believe that he's coming very, very soon. Again, this is why he was able to leave Ur of the Chaldees. It was why he was able to walk away from his career, leave his friends far behind. It was why he was able to live in tents to the end of his life. It was why he was able to start over in a new land, die without seeing all that God had promised. Why? Because he knew he was going to heaven. And that hope alone motivated him to press on regardless of what's going on around him. He knew that after death, he would enter that city that God had designed and made. Think about that city. The gates, the Bible said, are made of what? Pearl. Can you imagine that? Walls of jasper. Streets of gold. I can't wait to see that. I like watching, every once in a while I'll flip over and watch Gold Rush and see those guys doing all that work to pull gold out of the ground, out of the Yukon. They, they, they tear up the land and they dig and they run that stuff through the, the sleuth box, sleuth, that, that thing that picks out the gold. <laughs> and they pull out specks of gold and it adds up to ounces and millions of dollars. And I'm thinking, man, all the work that they do, the work, the, just how difficult it is. And we get to heaven, <laughs> he's going to have the streets paved with it. That's heaven. Precious stones, no dying, no funeral homes, no hospitals, no MRIs, CAT scans, no cancer doctors, no, no dialysis. See, in the city that God builds, there are no tears. There is no sorrow, no regret, no remorse. Bitterness is gone. Failure's been left behind. Suffering redeemed and rewarded. There are no eyeglasses, braces, wheelchairs, false teeth, <laughs> hearing aids. Nobody needs to know CPR. Doctors have to find a new job. Aspirin's gone. Accidents are over. Cancer's disappeared. Heart attacks are banished. AIDS is a distant memory. In heaven, no one grows old and feeble. Hallelujah. I feel like with the recent onset of some of the things I'm having to have done with the doctor. I feel like, I was telling the secretary today, I said, I feel like I'm at an age where when I sit down, I just have to discuss what test I have coming up and how many trips to the doctor I've got to make over the next, <laughs> next 10 days. <laughs> There's another thing you won't find in heaven. I've already said it, but you won't find cemeteries there because there are no funerals. Nobody dies. That's what Abraham grabbed hold of. And it kept him his entire life living as a nomad, coming from a place of permanence to a place of living in tents, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's the only way, that certain faith in uncertain times. So let's wrap this up tonight with a couple things. Here's a couple lessons. Nothing in this world is secure, <laughs> certain, or safe not. Again, I think that's obvious to most of us because everything we put our confidence in has failed us, right? Again, I, I think many people today have lived with this self-created bubble of false security. And when we see trouble, we think, well, that could never happen to me. Anybody ever said something like that? I mean, you think about before 9-11 happened, we saw terror all around the world and we thought what? Well, that could never happen here. And then boom, it did. Number two, there'll be no end to evil this side of heaven. It's not going to happen. Not until Big Brother steps in and says, okay, knock it off. It's not going to happen. Listen, I, I'm not being a pessimist, okay? I, I'm just being a biblical realist. Iniquity shall abound in these last days. Perilous times will come again. I'm not a prophet. I'm, I'm just saying there's difficult days ahead. So my advice is buckle up. Ground yourself in the truth of who he is and keep your eyes fixed to the sky. Looking for a city will not be delivered from evil until Jesus comes. But he is coming. Number three, God can bring beauty out of ashes of tragedy. Isn't that a great promise? God always has a way of bringing uh, triumph out of tragedies. 
And oftentimes in this life, our experience, what seems to be a setback is really a setup for God's grand plan. I love what Eugene Peterson says. He said, when it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Number, uh, number four, there are open hearts everywhere, so be bold. So again, I'm not saying with this pessimistic view of, well, you go ahead and buckle up, circle the wagons, and wait till Jesus to come. That, that's not what I'm saying because the Bible says we're to occupy until he comes. That means we are to be bold with our faith. We are to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, not be ashamed of the gospel. We are, listen, there are people, listen, for every one person that accepts, there's probably going to be 50 that turn you down. But don't stop anyway. You've heard me say this for years. There are people around us that you are the answer to their prayer that they've been praying. Be able to seize that moment. Number five, if you decide to follow Jesus, listen, you might not be safe, but your life will never be dull. (laughs) Isn't that good? If you decide, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. You might not be safe, but your life will never be dull. Again, as I close tonight, are you willing to go? Are you willing to follow? Are are you willing to anchor yourself in the fact that heaven is a destiny, it's a city, it's a place, it's our hope, and to walk through the muck and the mire looking for that city? I don't know what tomorrow, I wish I could stand here and tell you what tomorrow was going to bring. I can't. I don't know. But I do know who's already there and who holds it in his hand. Whether I live or whether I don't wake up to see another sunrise, I've got my eyes fixed on that place. Won't you stand with me tonight? The key to Abraham's life was when he was called, he obeyed and went. That is where our life hinges right there. Obedience is better than Sacrifice. That means you can give everything you own to the kingdom of God, but if you're living in disobedience, it doesn't do you one good. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Trust and obey. Whatever God calls you to do, be willing to step out and do and keep your eyes fixed on the sky. Listen, you can have certain faith in these uncertain times by keeping the hope of heaven alive in your heart. That's why I'm going to be preaching about end time things. I want you to have hope. My hope is not in a better, is, is it, it, my hope is not in the midterm elections. My hope is not in an economic recovery package. My, my hope is not in any of that stuff. My hope is on a place built by God that fades not away. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer? If you're online tonight, if you'll just comment, I want to pray with you as well. But let me ask you, how many here tonight say, you know what, Pastor, I need certain faith in uncertain times. I want to have that type of faith that Abraham had that, that compelled him to leave everything and follow after Jesus. Follow the promise, the call of God. I want to keep my eyes fixed on the hope of heaven to help me navigate through these uncertain times. If that's you tonight, if Pastor, I just want certain faith in these uncertain times. Would you just slip me in right my back down? If you're online, you'll comment on and pray with you as well. Listen, Abraham was no better than us. He just grabbed hold of the truth of God and he wouldn't let it go. He gave up permanence to live in a temporary shelter for the rest of his life because he kept looking for that place of heaven. Father, tonight I love you so much and I thank you for the story of Abraham. Thank you for his faith. I thank you that in these uncertain days that we live, Lord, we can anchor in some certainty. That certainty is that we have a city that is not made with human hands, a place that you've gone to prepare for us. And you said if you go to prepare that place, you'll come again, receive us unto yourself, that where you are there we may be also. Lord, you said if we have this hope, we purify ourselves. So, Lord, let this hope, I pray for the hands that went up tonight and those that are online tonight, that, Lord, maybe they're in some rocky situations right now. I pray that they settle that issue right now, that that the motivator to keep going when everything around them says to stop is the fact that heaven awaits us. And that we just journey, we push through the difficulty, we push through the impermanence and the temporariness of this life, and we keep looking for that permanent dwelling, that city whose foundations and architect is you. I ask you to go with us now. Give us a wonderful, restful night. And 
Lord, should you tarry, uh, Lord, bring us on Sunday. Lord, even now, bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. And even now, ordain what you're going to do. I pray that people have a life-changing encounter. And Lord, as we live out the rest of this week, should you tarry, Lord, let us, let us walk with an awareness that we might be the answer to someone's prayer. So with the prompting of the Spirit, Lord, may we be bold and may we shine in those dark times and those dark moments. I love and I bless each one now. Go with us now, I pray in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.